Hey, this is Matt McCloskey. This is Michael Vaklov. And this is Shores of Ignorance. <laughs> That's kind of like how we that used to do it. That sounded pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. It yeah. like a fleeting memory. Whatever you, Whatever you grab, grab just turns to dust. dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, a stranger out of credit. It's a dream that you get to be real. Passing over the songs. Glimmer, glimmer, shift the ship in the sea. Think you saw it, saw it. Guess what you do? We want to recap or anything like that, or just kind of? I think, yeah. So here's my thought. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about what we were going to do on this episode. Really, I mean, we've—that's not true. We've talked about it a lot, but we didn't sit down and make a plan. Um, let's try to have a conversation as if we were planning this episode. Okay. And get into some stuff. All um, right. Start by saying this is season two, which I was thinking is actually just a really kind way. A way of being kind to ourselves yeah. and ad- not really admitting that we just kind of <laughs> dropped the ball and didn't record an episode for how long has it been? Uh, six months. Six months. Seven months. Yeah. Damn. But you call it season two and it sounds planned. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So Shores of Ignorance, season two. I know. <clears throat> I know. One uh, like some people were wanting us to kind of like be able to jump into it quicker, you know. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, or not quicker, but not to, not to lollygag as much. But I don't know if that matters. Do we lollygag? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's when I was actually pushing for like criticism other than, oh, it's so great. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Sometimes it was a slow burn to like really get into the meat of things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of how a conversation goes. It is know? how a conversation goes. Yeah. And that's really what this podcast is based around is conversation. Have we started? Is that where we started right now? <laughs> I think we started a while ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So <laughs> your whole demeanor just changed. I know, exactly. It's like, I am being recorded. Relax. <laughs> yeah, I've been recording the whole time. Oh, good. I've been videoing the whole time. So. Perfect. But I didn't do my clapping thing, so that was... Oh, cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> yeah. So we don't usually uh, have a drink while we're podcasting, but we thought this would be a good time to do that. Yeah. I've been a little bit nervous about this episode because we haven't really planned it. My head's been out of it for a while, but mm-hmm. I'm glad to get it back. I've been excited to bring it back um, and excited to get into some topics that have been on my mind for a while. Um, it does feel like kind of a change in season in life for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if other people are feeling that too. It does seem to feel a little bit more universal. Hmm that feeling. Well, what about like, uh, so what have you been up to last six months? You've released a couple, uh, you've released a couple of songs. That's right. It has songs. been a while. I yeah. That's... Yeah. I put three new songs out and have played a few shows. Um, and then I recorded another batch of three more songs that mm-hmm. I'm currently like trying to finish up album art for so I can put those out. And that those three, the new ones I'm like really proud of and I'm super excited about. They're very different for me stylistically. And I'm just totally stuck on this album art, like trying to figure out what to call the songs, what to call the group of songs together, what the image on top of it should be. Um, and I hate this period. Yeah. I drew you a picture for it, but you're not using it? <laughs> <laughs> for this album? Oh, was that the last that one? That was the last oh, one. Okay, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Maybe I just need to do the same thing. So on the last three, I put out a, a Instagram post that was like, needing help with art, anybody out there want to put something together. 
So Michael drew something. I actually think you had your kids draw it. No, I drew it. Oh, that was you. <laughs> yeah. That's how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. No, I did not use that. But, but a, a good friend uh, and illustrator um, named Danny responded and sent me all, like sketched up all these con, uh, concepts. I, I sent her the songs. So I said, I don't really have any concepts for art. Um, listen to the songs see what you think. And she sent me back like 15 sketches. Of, like, mm. here's what this one made me feel. Here's what this one made me feel. And just really nailed it. And oh, it was cool. really cool to see, um, sort of like one, the, the, the visuals that she did, like that piece of art inspired by the musical piece of art mm-hmm. and that those sort of now live together as one thing. It was yeah. really, really cool. How did, uh, how did these last three that you produced, um, differ from your previous music? Uh, the new ones that I said mm-hmm. were different for me. Um, or is this the, 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 the newer, newer ones? That mm-hmm. are one different? The ones okay. that aren't out yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, for one thing, it doesn't follow any standard song structure. So most mm-hmm. songs have like an A section and a B section, and then repeat the A section with different words, and the B section, maybe a C section. And that translates roughly to like verse, chorus, bridge. Mm-hmm. This song doesn't have that. Um, it has three sections in the song, but it's sort of like one big, long A section, one big, long B section, and one big, long C section. And I actually cut them, each of those sections up into their own tracks. So it's three songs that make up one longer song. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of it as a suite. But each of those, oh, okay, yeah. each of the songs is sort of more of a vignette, even within those, those uh, larger pieces. There's no uh, structure to the song underneath it, really. Mm-hmm. So it's very long. It has it's like nine minutes long, and then it, it sort of has this big arc from start to finish. Did you do that on purpose, or no? So this was the interesting thing about this song is, I wrote this song maybe four years ago, um, and it was kind of songs come. I write songs in different ways at different times. I just sort of sat down with a guitar, and this thing came out. Hmm. So almost just fully formed in, in one sitting, or yeah, I think so. Oh, wow. um, for the for the most part, yeah, mm-hmm. probably at least ninety percent of it just sort of fell in my lap. Oh wow! Um, and lyrically, it's a lot different because it's not really telling a story so much as it's sort of painting a picture verbally and melodically. Um, it's sort of impressionistic in that way. Hmm. I love it. It has a has a real feel to it. Yeah, not a feel like a groove, but it's like you listen to it and you can it's like a song has a personality that you feel like you feel the presence of a person around you. Oh, interesting. It's sort of like when you listen to it, it presses on you. It's like, that's, that's the feeling I get. It's like, I, I feel it sort of pressing on me. Hmm. That's a, so it's interesting. I know. know. It's like, man, I want to hear this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I can't wait to release it. Yeah. So, well, the ones that you did released earlier, mm-hmm. how does, uh, how, how are those, uh, where does kind of come from the first, uh, first of the year after episode one or season one? Yeah. Those three, um, the first one I released was stay with me and I wrote it, um, right when Natalie and I first started dating. Hmm. Uh, so I had come out of a divorce and then was single for a little over a year. <clears throat> right around a year and then met Natalie and we started dating and, and I sort of immediately started having these really strong feelings for her in mm-hmm. a, a way that I didn't expect and in a way that I kind of should, couldn't justify mm-hmm. to myself. Um, and I wrote that song out of that. The first lines are, 
uh, am I scared of you, honey? I don't think so, but I can't stop shaking. Hmm. Am I in love with you, babe? I don't think so, but I don't really know how the heart works anyway. Yeah. And that line, am I in love with you? I don't think so. It's like kind of me wrestling with, I'm having these feelings that I could call that, hmm. but I can't. Like, I don't think I can say that. It's yeah. far too early. Do you feel like you didn't trust your, your feelings at that point in general? Definitely. Well, not, no, not in general, but with her. Okay. I don't know that if not trusting them was right. Maybe it was. I don't know. I hadn't, hadn't fallen in love with somebody in over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it was all very new. So I wrote that one. Um, the second song I put out was called Tearing Down the Dam. Mm-hmm. That was uh, a song that I wrote before Stay With Me. I wrote it after my divorce. Um, and at a time when I was kind of trying to reconcile with myself what had happened. Hmm. Um, so that song is really about me struggling to make the decision to end that relationship. Yeah. Um, because that was really difficult. It was hard to, it was hard for me to come to terms with that happening and, and hard for me to come to terms with like having to make a decision and move in that mm-hmm. and initiate that. Yeah. Um, that's what that song's about. And then the third one, which may be my favorite, it's called Slowly. And I, I, I call it the, what did I call it? Creepy psychedelic <laughs> country haunt. Uh-huh, totally. It's in 6-4 and it has this uh, pedal steel part in it that I, my, my friend and producer Brian um, plays pedal steel. And I was like, can you play a line and make it sound like a singing saw? Mm-hmm. So he played this like very haunting, creepy line in there. It's really cool. Um, and that's another one sort of about the end of my marriage, um, in struggling with conflicting feelings about that. Yeah. Does that help you? Like when you write a song, do you feel like you put something to bed like afterwards or is it kind of just sit with you for a little bit longer? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Almost like therapeutic in a sense, or, or helps you kind of work through your emotions and your, your thoughts about all you know, that you've gone through. I think I do sometimes think that way gotta sneeze maybe not um well i know i play music as as a music is cathartic Mm -hmm. for me to play music it's comforting um yeah and i think i do work things out emotionally by writing music Um, but it's interesting i think that the songs that i've written have come back years later and meant very different things to me than they did when I wrote them. Yeah. Um, I've always kind of thought that art, once you complete it, or maybe once you share it, goes out and has its own life. Mm-hmm. It, and it's not really your own anymore. Like you, it's like you literally kind of give birth to something and then it's out there mm-hmm. in the world, interacting with other people and meaning different things to different people. And, you change around it and it sort of changes and becomes its own thing and, and really matures in a way, which is a strange thing to say because art doesn't necessarily change mm-hmm. over time, but it does mature somehow. And I've had songs come back and mean completely different things mm-hmm. to me later than they did yeah. before. That's uh, reminds me of uh, something I'm kind of I was jumping into. It was uh, 
I think it was Peterson's book, Maps of Meaning. He uh, talks about how when your goals shift, your meaning shifts. Hmm. So it's like when you know something uh, as a child, you know, you have a certain idea of it. But then as you grow, it's like your goals change. And so the meaning starts to shift too. So it's like I'm no longer like uh, whether it be I see my father or my mother in this way. But now as I get older, it's like they start to look different because you're no longer under their wing. You're now going out into adulthood. And so the the meaning of that relationship starts to shift. You know, Mm. it's like, but when did that shift? You know, it's like (laughs) it's not it's not time or a certain point. Yeah. I think it was when goals shift. It might might have been goals, but 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 then, yeah, now I, yeah. That time thing reminds me of something <laughs> I was reading about called the growth paradox. What is it? Uh, if if two grains of sand can can't be called a bunch, hmm. but there is such a thing as a bunch of grains, mm-hmm. and removing one grain of sand from a bunch would never stop it from being a bunch. Yeah. When does it become that? Mm-hmm. It doesn't change from one to the other. It's somehow just emerges that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the, uh, oh man. Allison was, uh, uh, a friend of hers. Uh, um, I don't know if she posted it or sent it to her, uh, a T.S. Eliot, uh, Norton, Nort, Nort Burton. Oh shoot. It's my favorite, one of my favorite poems. I can't even remember the, the name of it. Norton Burton, part of the four quartets. And he talks about time a lot and he talks about the dance and sort of like time present and time past. But this is, there's this part where you're in the dance that's that time kind of doesn't exist until you look back at it. Mm. And it's sort of, uh, you know, you're kind of reminding me of all that sort of, uh, uh time. And, and yeah, I guess it could, there is no, almost no time in the moment. Mm-hmm. You're not really conscious of time until you either look back or look forward. Yeah. You're conscious of time if you're waiting for something. Mm-hmm. You're conscious of time if you're nostalgic about something or looking backwards. Yeah. But do you, when you look back at your songs, do you, can you still like see yourself in that, like in those clothes like of the guy who wrote that song or can, is that, is that person like an alien to you? Mm. No, I don't think he's an alien. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I still relate. Yeah. Oh, interesting, yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, I, this is the other thing about songwriting for me, is that somehow I don't really write songs that ne- are necessarily applicable to me then. Mm-hmm. They arise out of some feeling, some emotion. Some are a little bit more sort of on the nose in terms of like they're trying to say something specific, mm-hmm. and that could be applicable. Like the Tearing Down the Dam song there was something really specific that had happened in my life. And Mm -hmm. I think I was writing that song kind of trying to justify my decision to myself. Like how, Mm -hmm. how how can I have these two, these two seemingly conflicting points of view on something? Yeah. Um, So it was struggling with that, but there's other songs that I've written that like, there's a song I wrote called the hard rains. Yeah. I love that song. It has like re- remained a very important song, but when I, I remember writing it and I don't, I don't remember it being about anything specific in my life. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out it, it sort of ended up being prophetic. Mm. In what way? Well, the hard rains came mm-hmm. a few years later. 
Yeah. It, yeah, it seemed more applicable to other points in my life after it was written. Yeah. They <laughs> <laughs> think it, it's Luca is always. <laughs> he's always interrupting the podcast, and I. <laughs> I think it bothers you. <laughs> Me? Yeah. Well, I, I get into a train of thought and then I'm easily yeah. distracted. <laughs> Something about us having the headphones on. He's like over here, like, what are y'all doing? Y'all yeah. should pay attention to me. Yeah, you can't hear me. So <laughs> that's why whatever Alice and I are in a, in a uh, we're talking about something and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, no, no, go ahead, babe. She's like, no, you say what you need to say because you'll forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I've come to terms with it because too many times I've said, no, 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 you go ahead. Go ahead. I'll remember. Yeah. No, I don't remember. I get too engrossed in like what the other person's. <laughs> well, I also think that like a lot of the, the, the ways that you think and the ways that you talk, it's like you're going after something. You're, mm. you're trying sort of desperately to find words to capture bits and pieces of something that seems to always be fleeting itself. Yeah. And then you're trying to use language, which is inherently difficult and limiting. And all of that takes a cognitive effort that when interrupted, it's like, Oh, the thing flits away or Mm -hmm. I forgot the, you know, the, I thought maybe I could call it by this, but then that wasn't quite it. So you start, you go through this like mental challenge of, coming up with metaphor on top of metaphor on top of metaphor until you get to a word or a a group of words that seem to fit the thing you're going after. Yeah. It's like, I I get a picture in my head, but it's not just a a mental picture. It's almost like it has a smell and a, uh, a feeling to it, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, so you're trying to like, kind of like almost, almost like a, I'm going to compare myself to Michelangelo, <laughs> whatever he's like, you know, he's looking at this slab of mar- a slab of marble and, you know, he's trying to release the David out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so he's just, he's, he, all he's doing is knocking off the rock that is not part of the David, but the David already exists in it, you right. know? And I, I remember reading that a long time ago and I was just, I just thought that was the most beautiful image. It's like, it's like you see something in there and then you're just trying to knock off all the nonsense and hmm. the things that don't resonate. It's like, but there's this whole feeling and this idea around, you know, it's like, and you explore it too. I mean, that's what I enjoy <clears throat> talking with you about these things is like, you know, it's like you don't really have it. In fact, even they have some stupid parts to it too, but you have to say them out loud mm-hmm. in order to kind of knock some of that stuff off. That's not, that's not really there or, it's the only language you have for it or something like that. Yeah, I was, I've been reading um, Ian McGilchrist's uh, The Master mm. and His Emissary mm-hmm. a lot lately, and he was talking about the, the process of getting to truth being less about <clears throat> adding things together. It's not so much additive uh, as it is uh, a reductionist effort. It is removing things uh, mm. to find what is there. And that, mm-hmm. the David, the sculpture Michelangelo analogy is perfect for yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's like there's, there really is a, a, a kind of a beauty to. Okay, uh, to sit down. <laughs> Go on. It's not really exciting over there. Lay it down. <laughs> oh, he's ready. He's about to be on me. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to have to. <laughs> he just looks at it. He's like, what? Let me see if he wants to go out. All right. Come on, Luca. Come on. 
So as we're waiting for Matt, as he gets back, uh, Matt has a new place. And so we actually have a new place to, to film in and do our podcast in. I don't know if we're going to release the video on this or not, cause uh, it's kind of rudimentary, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah, we'll just cut this part out. <laughs> well, it's like I was trying—I like, to do some like, like, like uh, over, over voiceover. Oh yeah, yeah. This part I was like, yeah. not working. No, I don't. <laughs> but it's real. Maybe though, it's like real life. Like mm-hmm. maybe you need the interruptions. Maybe that's an important part of the thought processing. Because I do feel like our conversations mm-hmm. on this podcast generally have a different feel than our conversations in real life. Yeah, it's definitely different for me. I mean, it's 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 harder. It's harder to. I mean, we've talked about this in the other, in a few other ones, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a little bit more censored, a little bit more, um, I kind of want to have my thoughts a little bit more together as right. we, as we discuss them, I'm less exploratory, which kind of mm-hmm. sucks, but I'm going to get over that and be a little more exploratory. Hopefully. I think we should. <laughs> I, so, okay. Hopes for these couple coming episodes. Oh, I would like to, I really like the interviews that we were doing and I'd like to continue doing that. Mm-hmm. I would love to be a little bit more exploratory. Okay. I'd love to try to talk about some things. I, I think actually we were hitting on something that we could really take somewhere. I've been thinking a lot about um, meaning and truth and uh, ultimately context. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's this, this, this concept that has been popping up in all these places in my life, mm-hmm. um, whether it's my own internal thought process or things that I'm reading or hearing and listening to. And I think it's so applicable to what's going on in the world and the, the reality that we live in. I'd love to talk about that. I want to explore those things yeah. in sort of a more ad hoc mm-hmm. uh, method with you mm-hmm. rather than sitting down and sort of laying out some structure of an interview. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my hopes mm-hmm. is to, is to have more natural conversations, the two of us. Yeah. No, I like that. And also just learning how to do that too. I think that's, yeah. that's also something I would, enjoy it's 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 kind of that's kind of fun to to know that people do listen to this and it's great and but a lot of it is you and i learning about you know how to how to communicate and also through this form too you know right <laughs> how to communicate in a way that's engaging yeah exactly or that continues to be engaging over mm-hmm. the course of uh an hour or so exactly exactly and that's crazy to me that people listen to this <laughs> yeah thank you guys for listening seriously <laughs> i've received just amazing unsolicited feedback yeah that's just been so humbling and enriching to yeah. me. No, it's, it's definitely been, it's, it's been fun. It's, uh, especially, uh, you know, when you, when you see some of our views of, I mean, over a hundred on each episode, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, really? Like, <laughs> I know <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> Maybe it's me listening to it 99 times. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think the algorithm's smart yeah, enough to filter those out. I don't know. Uh, huh. Yeah, do you go back and listen to them? I haven't. I uh-huh. mean, I, I've listened to every one that we've done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some a few more times than others. Mm-hmm. But I haven't listened to an episode since our last one. Yeah. I haven't gone back. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't in, in a while either. I went back and watched our, the videos with uh, David Ramirez and mm-hmm. Mark Stoney. And I don't know, just... It's really fun to go back and watch those. I wish we could, I almost wish we could go have those conversations again. Yeah. Well, we can. Maybe we could have some repeats. Yeah. I think We've so. also talked about um, a couple of guests that we want to have on mm-hmm. coming up, uh, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. Uh, your wife is one. Oh, yeah. She's I'm great. very excited about that one. <laughs> uh, she's such a great 
mediator of you and I. Yeah. Because I think she knows us both. She clearly knows you really well, but yeah, she totally. knows me well, and uh, I think she knows how to play us uh-huh. uh, sort of. Yeah. I, w- I want to say against each other, but I think it is for our own benefit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it, we might even have to add a third person to this podcast. <laughs> we're, at, we're becoming a morning show rapidly. Uh, yeah, there you go. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. We've also talked about having our kids on. Yeah. Which I know, I know my son is, he kind of stopped bugging me about it, I think, in, in defeat and yeah. in disappointment. Cause he was waiting for uh, season two. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell him that and be like, oh, okay. No, he's 13. He'll uh, be like, yeah. Yeah, he he, you can't pull that one over. Huh? No, but I think I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, uh, it'll take a while because you've got so many. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure with the younger ones, it'd probably maybe do three or four at a time, or yeah. maybe all of them, and then each one gets ten minutes or something like that, or yeah. five. Might be kind of the way to go. Um, what other hopes, aspirations? What other thoughts do you have about starting this up again? You feel good about it? I do. Um, I really, I'm, I'm excited about guests. I want, I'd like to bring some people in. Um, I know we, we, we talked about kind of exploring like what subjects we're interested in and more finding people in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would love to do that. Um, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to work out some of the thoughts. Uh, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about consciousness and time and evolution and, and some of those things. And I'd like to kind of be able to, uh, maybe work some of that stuff out on, on air. That'd so be awesome. I just, I have an office now with a whiteboard oh, and yeah. it's so badass. <laughs> so your office uh-huh. is, uh, yeah. this is, this is like a marker worth pointing out mm. because it's been super important for you and you've worked really hard. Like you getting an office was sort of like the icing on the cake. I think oh, you yeah. always put that like you, you gave that to yourself last. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what was it? It feels like 10 years ago mm-hmm. you started talking about hosting, opening a roasting facility. Yeah, 2011. Yeah, when, eight years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. And what, last week? Yeah, Two, it, uh, three weeks ago. Yeah. Three weeks ago, it opened. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. And it's right by your house. So you can walk to it. <laughs> and you have an office. I have an office. And I a know. whiteboard. <laughs> I know. You think of all the stuff that happened in the last three weeks, so it's like... I'm like, I got a whiteboard. <laughs> I know, right? But I really do like the whiteboard. It's already got tons of stuff on it. So mm-hmm. I just started doing dates of things. <laughs> of all, uh, like of everything that you did to get that roasting facility to like put together and all the, co- like you own, you own a forklift now. Yeah. That's so that's cool. <laughs> but you sent me one picture of the whole process and it was of the whiteboard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that kind of hit me a little bit like later. I was sort of like, you know, I was like, maybe I need to shows other stuff than (laughs) (laughs) you're like what's up with my priorities (laughs) no but i love it i think it's so good Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm so glad for you that you have that that space yeah it's been nuts we we started the uh we started the this project uh four years ago in negotiations for this location and then uh uh also we're open at the airport austin international airport and uh, we started that two and a half years ago, and they all, well, both of them opened within a week of each other. So my team has just been killing it, and we've been uh, all pretty exhausted. So we're we're kind of ready to settle in a little bit. It's kind of awesome that those two, like the the completion of those two things, coincided like they did. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, man. for celebratory reasons, for uh, I imagine just like exhaustion reasons. Oh yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I threw my back out a couple 
almost a month ago. So that's the worst. Yeah. And it's just now sort of getting better. <laughs> it's like you, you forget how bad that is until it happens. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I'm so like, I'm never going to like take for granted my range of motion again. Oh no, I know. It's like, I feel like an old man a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It's been, uh, man, just last week I started getting back into my books and I had to put everything down about two months ago. Um, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I love reading. I love studying things. And, but my headspace, I had to like really get down into the nitty gritty of all the stuff. So I was like, so I don't know. I've got a little bit smarter, a little bit, tiny bit about like what I, my capacity, which is Mm -hmm. still really not realistic still, but like, yeah. And so I had to kind of put a lot of stuff down, which was fun to pick it up last week. (laughs) Yeah. Did you put it down because of what was going on with Medici? Yeah. I mean, I just couldn't, I just didn't have the headspace for it. And I was trying to, you know, probably in June, I was trying to jam too many things into a little tiny, you know, box and yeah and that box was really just needed to be medici for a while mm-hmm. so yeah what's your sleep schedule now <laughs> i'm back at it <laughs> you're back at it you're back at the experiment uh-huh, totally <laughs> i really enjoyed the experiment and uh and i'm really enjoying it right now so so what time are you getting up in the morning four o'clock four o'clock yeah. and you're going to bed at midnight midnight well i'm actually doing good i'm trying to get to bed around 11 so, okay yeah <laughs> still that is a tiny amount of sleep yeah but I mean, I feel great. It's like, you know, the weekends I get a little bit, I, I take a nap, which I don't ever do. But mm-hmm. when I do this, I have to take a nap yeah. on the weekends. So, but it's, it's amazing. It's, <laughs> you wake up before everyone, nobody's on the streets. Yeah. I walk up to my office, get into my office and sit down, start my reading. And then, then I'll start journaling a little bit and then all of a sudden it just starts rolling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I've got all my books, all my books are hidden behind my kids books <laughs> at home. Uh, so it's like, you know, the first layer is kids book and my, all mine are behind <laughs> the kids books. Was that for protection? <laughs> no, just over time. Uh-huh. Like, our bookshelves got uh, consumed. Yeah. <laughs> so I've moved all of my, most of my books up to the office too. So. so you get up at four in the morning and walk to your office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And make coffee. Yeah. That's interesting. I, on, uh, so I have my kids half the time and on the time in the school year during the school days that I have them, I get five forty-five, mm. and it can be kind of brutal going back and forth between that and like a lifestyle of not having my kids around oh, for yeah. a couple of days a week. But I really do enjoy those days when I'm up at five forty-five, and I get up at five forty-five and get them up at six. So it's really only 15 minutes, but in those mm-hmm. 15 minutes, it's like, it's like a golden 15 minutes. Yeah. I go make coffee nobody's stirring it's still dark outside yeah and i'll just sit and quietly drink my coffee and like take those moments to collect myself and prepare myself for the hellishly long day ahead mm-hmm. yeah totally well there's something that's just so valuable about that being able to like have a moment or or some time to just whether we re- reflect or to read or you know just time to yourself uh, i mean i guess different people you know, like I, 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 I value that very highly, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, but, um, other people probably, you know, are, hey, maybe get energized by being around people, you know, it's maybe like extrovert introvert type thing too. But, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in, I'll be interested in like, kind of like looking at that too. Like how, like, I, I would say it's probably different for people, different people and how 
what that means for you. Like sleep, like Allison loves sleep, you know, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like if she gets to lay around for two hours in bed and not actually wake up like that is so that's good for her. Yeah. She yeah. just loves that. You know, every once in a while that's enjoyable to me, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's not often. Generally I like to get up. I don't like sleep. Yeah. No, <laughs> it seems, it seems not productive. Yeah. I totally. <laughs> except it's necessary to survive. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll trick myself sometimes, like where I'll I'll tell myself I have to stay in bed till like eight or eight thirty, but then I'll I'll just like uh, <laughs> I'll go off into like a little a little space in my head, and like and I'll play around with ideas and thoughts. So I'm not really sleeping, but mm-hmm. I just like play. <laughs> so it's really funny. It's like it, it's it sounds really ridiculous when I say it out loud now, but <laughs> have you have you ever thought about experimenting with polyphasic sleep? What's that? Oh, is that that thirty minutes thing or? Well, it's the idea that, um, you know, like rule of thumb, we need about eight hours of sleep a day, but Mm -hmm. in cultures where taking a nap in the middle of the day is like a part of the culture. So like in Mexico and I think in China, Mexico, they have siesta and like the whole town will shut down from two to four or something. Mm -hmm. Everything closes. Everybody goes and takes a nap. And in those cultures, traditionally, they don't sleep eight hours a day. They sleep less. They sleep something like a total of six. Mm -hmm. So they might sleep four at night, two during the siesta time. Mm -hmm. But actually it turns out that the more you break up, the more, the more times you sleep a day, the less total sleep you need. Mm -hmm. So you can, if you sleep six times a day, it's like you only end up needing a total of two hours of sleep. Oh gosh. But it has to be 20 minutes every two hours Uh or so, or whatever that math works out to like exactly. Uh If you're like late or you miss one, your body crashes, like you haven't slept in three days. Oh yeah. But there's like famously, like some presidents have done this, mm-hmm. um, some entrepreneurs have done it, and it's they can sustain themselves that way. Yeah. But they're all like, you know, they've fallen apart though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, there's a great episode actually. Um, oh, what podcast was that? Maybe it was Tim Ferriss. He was interviewing the guy who started uh, WordPress, mm-hmm. and this guy famously. I don't know if it was famously, he talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he was doing that and he was sleeping two hours a day Oh wow! and it worked for him. And then he was like, I don't do it anymore. And he said, why'd you stop? And he said, well, I got a girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's not sustainable. Like in the context of a sort of mm-hmm. normal life where you have friends and relationships and you know, yeah. things outside of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. But if you're just like zeroed in on accomplishing one thing, then maybe that is helpful. It's almost like it's a good tactical thing. Like, okay, this season for this three months or this time period, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to do this thing. Well, why not? We do it with other things. True. You know, like we, we'll do Whole30. And so like for oh, a month, yeah. we, you know, deprive ourselves of eating anything that's tastes good. I know. What's up with that? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but we, it's like we all do it. It's super popular. Yeah. Uh, or fasting. A lot of people have been talking about fasting recently. Yeah. I've never tried it. No. Have you? Yeah, I have. Do you like it? Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't do it as much as I used to, but it's, uh, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's really, it just gets you thinking about other things, you know? Mm-hmm. So like whenever, so that's why I, I, I like it. It's just, you know, you don't have to worry about food mm-hmm. and what you're going to eat because, that you're not eating. So it's like, you don't have to think about it, you know? And obviously it's, uh, you know, the beginning is always the hardest, you know, first two or three days, 
but by the third day you start to kind of get into like more of a rhythm, you know? Hmm. Um, are you just drinking water? Mm-hmm. Well, people do different things. Some people do juices or, you know, it's, it's some sort of fast, but I've done just mostly like water kind of stuff. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm kind of interested. Yeah. I'm also like, <laughs> it makes family life hard too though. Cause like I did one that was a little bit kind of long and, and I was never eating dinner. So it kind of made dinner time. Like I would sit at the dinner table, but I wasn't like eating, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. And it's yeah. like after, after a while, the kids were stopped asking me about like, yeah. why aren't you eating dad? <laughs> like, so what's the longest period of time you've gone? I don't know if I want to say it out loud. <laughs> really? Has <laughs> yeah. it been a long time? It was a pretty long one, but, but it was, it's kind of, it was mine. So it's like, um, I don't know. Is that, that why you don't want to say it out loud? Yeah. You just want to keep it for yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, now I'm just wondering. Yeah. I'll whisper it to you when we get off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've done, I've done quite a few like three and sevens and stuff like that. So okay. that was days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, uh, that's interesting, but it's crazy too. Like I'll do like I've done quite a few of them. It's like, you get the end of it and you're done. And, and then I go to Wendy's. I just remember like, two that's th- what you do at the end of a fast no, Wendy's. Well, this is a couple times I had done that. It was just like, sometimes it's other things, but just as bad. And you just like eat, and then after you eat, you just feel like absolute hell. You're oh, like, I'm sure. What the hell did I just do? Then you feel bad about the whole thing. You know, it's like all three days or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to, I feel like at the end of a fast, I'm going for like a steak, steak frites or something. Yeah. Wendy's. You're getting some chicken but it, nuggets. And but it teaches frosting. you something about yourself too. It's like once that, once that is released, you know, and then you, and then you, mm. you just have this urge to like almost, you know, ravenously eat something that like, what do I want? Like, you know, it's in- so is it teaching you about your urges? Like at that end point where you're like, I haven't eaten in three days, I'm going to go eat something. And all of a sudden your mind goes to mm-hmm. Wendy's and you're like, yeah, I don't even like Wendy's. I, I yeah. Right. Like maybe that's surprising. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I had, there was two instances and it was more like in college time that I did that. And I just, it was just such a surreal. Cause I think it was one of the first, uh, first few times I'd, I had done a fast and, uh, and that was just, it was just always so surprising. And I just remember how gross I felt afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I feel gross after Wendy's now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel gross kind of thinking about it. Uh-huh. I hadn't had Wendy's in a long time and I ate it in an airport. It's so weird. Like, I don't even like talking about this on this podcast. <laughs> I feel like I'm ruining it. Like I just, well, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, there's this thing I did that was very special. Like, and like, you know, by, but, but then saying it out loud, you just all of a sudden like, Oh, you're, Oh, you're ruining the fast, not yeah. the podcast. No. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not ruining the podcast. <laughs> uh, does that make sense? Like, yeah, it does. It's sort of like you, you have something that's well, yours. I, I, yeah. I kind of feel that way sometimes about talking about my songs. It's like, well, and this gets into a weird thing. It's like, as soon as you try to describe something, it's like you almost diminish it, especially if it's really powerful or really special, like a fast or a song or a piece of art. Mm -hmm. You try to describe it. It's like you're, you're doing an injustice to it. Yeah. Like a great work of art, like, Mm -hmm. um, describe a Monet to me. Like, yeah. A, you're not going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And B, it just seems insulting. Yeah. You just got to go look at it. Yeah. Whatever it is to that it has to tell you, whatever meaning is encoded in that piece of art, story, message that is meant to be transmitted to you, mm-hmm. it can only be transmitted via that thing. Well, it does seem like you, you do need things that are just yours, you know? But, uh, and I, I could also see how it could be different for different people. Like, 
Like I would probably be, I'd fit more on the, in the, on the side of like, I need to share more with people, mm-hmm. you know, Same. and then other people might fit in a category where they need to kind of like keep more things for just them, mm. you know, yeah. and then there's, you know, variations thereof in between. But so it's like, you know, how do, how do you, how do you, how do you manage that? Cause I, I would be, I'd probably be a little bit more not conservative, but, um, uh, tight with what I share of personal things. Cause I don't want it. Cause it, the meaning of it is something that's very valuable to me. And I mean, probably you and Allison get to hear more than anybody yeah. else. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and I feel quite honored for that, thanks. to be honest. <laughs> but, but it is, but it's important that you do, you have to, you have to, and you need to share those things, you know, but yeah, I think so. I mean, I think as much as I say, oh, I, despite the fact that I said that sometimes describing things with words seems insulting to them mm-hmm. in certain scenarios, I think we also need to go through the exercise of mm-hmm. describing, sharing, uh, opening up those things. I mean, that without that, that seems uh, limiting as well or mm-hmm. somehow insulting to the thing itself. Or even selfish. I mean, because mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I think about like, most of the things that I have, somebody has shared with me or given to me, mm. whether through a book, mm-hmm. a relationship, a song, you know, it's like, yeah, these are all things that people have shared with me and have excited something in me and have, or inspired me in some way, you know, it's like, and that's good. It's like <clears throat> to keep some of that for yourself. But, you know, I, I think that's why like, um, you know, Medici for one is is one of those more outward outward expressions for me you know it's like yeah um, but even then i kind of hide myself in that you know it's like um but it's probably one of the more public facing parts of my life you know right and whenever you walk into any place with five kids (laughs) (laughs) you can't hide that (laughs) yep here we are (laughs) and there's five (laughs) so but I think that's the amazing thing, like with Allison right now and her dancing, like she's, she's doing that in a way that she hasn't done in a while either is, is having more of a public facing yeah. part of her in dance, you know? And I think it's, it's been really beautiful to see her cause she's also a fairly private person unless you're one-on-one with her. And then, you know, you get all of her <laughs> in a very good way. You know, it's yeah. like. And, and people she does. Are, I see her often choosing whether or not she's going to open the tap. Uh huh. Yeah. Like, and it, there's only like two positions closed or open. Uh huh. And when she decides, I love when she opens it because yeah. I know I'm going to get <laughs> <laughs> probably like maybe scolded, but <laughs> <laughs> lovingly. <laughs> lovingly. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, also, I think when, especially when she does that, like other people also open up Luca. and and share more about themselves too. Come here. Maybe, maybe we need to get a dog sitter. (laughs) A dog sitter. (laughs) I would just do it at the, at the roasting facility, but then there's be a lot of, uh, uh, cars driving by (laughs) and ambulances. If you want to see a picture of Luca, go to my Instagram. He's just the handsomest dog. (laughs) He is. And he's my best friend, but you're being real annoying right now. And it's a coat just shines. It does. It's the <laughs> it food. Does. You saw my recent yeah, post. I did. I did. <laughs> uh, Come here. Um, 
I'd like to, I'd like to find more mediums to, to, I, I think that's why for me, this is, you know, I, we, we also, I've already said this on the podcast, but this is also a more of an outward facing medium. That's fun yeah. to do and inspiring. Oh, I had a thought a second ago. Well, thinking about that outward facing medium, just all of a sudden I was like, I had this sobering thought that like, oh yeah, like what parts of myself do I want to share and which parts I, I don't? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to pull that down as much as possible. Yeah. Like I'd rather err on sharing too much mm-hmm. because I think like you said a moment ago, I, I do tend, I, I, de- it, I default to not sharing things mm-hmm. with the outward world unless that doesn't really apply one-on-one with yeah. people necessarily. But mm-hmm. it, you know, there is this like divide between what I would call my personal life, which is more one-on-one interactions, mm-hmm. in-person interactions in this public life, which is the, the image that we project out. Yeah. Mostly, I guess, via social media, mm-hmm. um, but you kind of can't avoid it. If you own a business or are trying to promote something yeah. connected to yourself, you mm-hmm. kind of can't. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. Yeah, I had that thought today about like, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty like, I don't have, I don't have very many barriers as far as like, you know, people I would associate with or talk with, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I love conversation, you know, it's like, and, you know, and part of me is like, I was like, I don't want to share that with the rest of the the rest of the world, you know, it's because like, it's, it's so valuable to me that I don't want to, you know, uh, solely that in any way Mm -hmm. where it becomes a, um, and again, I'm not that famous, so it doesn't really matter, but like, <laughs> but I, I guess, that I guess, it's not that <laughs> well, I'm sort of a big deal, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, I, cause I, I, I sometimes put myself in some of these, uh, people that are more on the world stage or local stage. And I'm like, man, it's like, you know, how can you be really just genuine and honest, um, you know, there's a, there's a few people that do that and I, and I really do appreciate them. And, and I think they're, they actually probably give me more courage. And who are you thinking about? Uh, just quite a few people. I mean, like, uh, the Weinstein brothers, mm-hmm. um, Peterson, um, uh, shoot. Um, I mean, Rogan. Yeah, Rogan, uh, man, it's like he, I think he's got a, a set of circuitry that I just don't have. Yeah. Like he's able to be open seemingly without fear mm-hmm. on any subject. Yeah. And he'll say like, you know, this one's a hard thing to talk about and I'm probably going to get blown up and yeah. the hate retweet, <laughs> tweets are going to be cra- you know, crazy. Uh-huh. But he just barrels right into it. Yeah. I, I'm envious of that. But he also says, he said, yeah, but you know, I'm not, I'm different from the rest of you guys. Cause I got a lot of fuck you money. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. He's even like honest Insulated, and open yeah. about that. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm rich. I'm famous. Like uh-huh. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. He's just honest about his life. Totally. totally. I mean, I, I would much, much prefer to be honest about my life and screw up through that mm-hmm. than hold things in out of fear mm-hmm. and screw up because of that. I mean, you're going to screw up either way, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I just really admire people who are open. I think, again, I, uh, each, I think different people have, like I, as I look at the different people that I respect 
and they're all from different viewpoints. So it's not just a one side or the other of whether mm-hmm. whether you talk about you know conservative or liberal. It's like you know, it's from issues to how you perceive the world, like mm-hmm. whether you believe in God or don't believe in God or something there in between. Or you know, it's like it's like I really do have quite a few people in all of those categories that I respect, and it's something that I do see that that's a theme with all those different people is that sort of like, again, they're sharing something with me and I'm able to criticize them, hmm. you know, like they're open to that. They're open to that. Yeah. I mean, I have a responsibility to be, to be, to be thoughtful in my criticism, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that's where some people, uh, don't feel that responsibility and kind of just, you know, <laughs> just do things, just criticize, just criticize or shame yeah. or whatever it might be. It's like, but that's really true. You do have, I mean, there are dishonest actors. You have a good there, bedside but, yeah. manner about your criticism. Yeah. <laughs> good <bedside. laughs> you do. I admire well, that. That about doesn't you a lot. suck. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that's something I've been trying to learn. And, and, and you, and, uh, actually like a, a couple of people that I work with at my job, I've been conscious of trying to learn from when it comes mm-hmm to criticism tell me i don't think i'm, I'm quite aware of what what i do anyways <laughs> in that area okay or i don't know that i things that you respect yeah. i don't know that i have <laughs> tell me things you respect about me <laughs> i know when i said that I gladly like, well they didn't really come out <laughs> uh you have an ability to be disarming hmm. in in conversations that are difficult mm-hmm. um in, in areas where I find that I tend to somehow be the opposite, despite, like, sort of without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started the job that I'm at now, is we were hiring a bunch of people, and I was interviewing almost everyone that was coming through the door. And, and my, uh, my boss at that time said I, I got uh, feedback from the recruiter. He, she asked uh, if I would tell you to be less intimidating. Hmm. And he was like, and I told her no, because I love that. <laughs> and he said, uh, and, but then I, I took that and I was like, what, am I intimidating? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be that way. I'm not trying to be that way. Yeah. But it's sort of the same thing. I find myself in difficult conversations with people. I, I tend to come across, um, people tend to get defensive mm. at certain times. And I've been in conversations, like I've had conversations with people that haven't gone well and I've and then I've sort of rehad those conversations with you there mm-hmm. and you tend to be very disarming to them in places where they seem to be armed by me. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I don't fully understand that yet, yeah, but yeah. it's an area of my life that I really want to grow in because I don't want to be that way. I really want to have hard conversations. Mm-hmm. But, I, but again, I think that's what I, I, I love about our conversations is because you don't, you, you do kind of come at it. And so it's a little bit more direct mm. where you can kind of like, you can kind of come, I, I, yeah, I can kind of see it more clearly whenever you state something. And then it helps me like, kind of like, like it blows it up a little bit more where I can see it a little bit better, you know? Mm. Cause sometimes when you, when you see, hear someone <clears throat> state something definitively, it helps you kind of then see more around it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that does make sense. Or at least it gives you a 
like a working structure. Exactly. Like let's mm-hmm. yeah, state something definitively. All right, let's work around that mm-hmm. and just see how it goes. Which I feel like that's what a lot of our conversations are. It's like, yeah. you know, and, and I think we do trade, trade off on the definitive part and then we kind of blow it up after that, mm-hmm. you know, and see where, how that looks or how does it work or right. how does that, but it's more about, it's like the definitiveness is good, but it's then it's like, so what does that mean to you? How does that look? Where, what, what other elements do we, are we not looking at or something like right. that? You know? Um, but uh, yeah, I love to, I lo- just love that concept. Like let's take something to definitive and then try to like test it for weakness mm. and maybe destroy it, tear yeah, it all apart totally. and yeah. start over and find something else that seems definitive. Mm-hmm. And, and through that process, it's like, it's the whittling away. It's the, the, taking away the chipping away of the stone Mm -hmm. until we find what's inside. And I think that's one thing. I mean, especially in the U S like the idea of freedom of speech, like your speech is free. And it's like, we just, we just so need that because Mm -hmm. of that very reason. It's like, yeah, we need to be able to dialogue out loud. The more you try to bury things or hide things or, you know, or sort of say, Hey, this has already been agreed upon Mm -hmm. and understood. Yeah. And now you don't talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. Or you accept this, this version of that, you right. know, it's like, and there, no, there is not a nuance to this. You right. Know? Or it doesn't, if in another situation, it's the same, <laughs> You're like, well, what if, <laughs> right. You yeah. have to be able to say the what ifs mm-hmm. you have to be able to say the what ifs to an, even, even if we, ex, if you were to sort of like theoretically accept something as definitive mm-hmm. and infallible yeah. and unchangeable. Mm-hmm. You can't understand it even unless you are able to ask what ifs about it yeah. and, and test it. I mean, that's the means by which we come to understand something. Mm-hmm. Or even time. You know, it's like it, it, at one point, I mean, I feel like you and I have really grown in, our, in a lot of different perspectives uh, over time. Or it's, oh, man. I just was trying to think of a, we have too many conversations, so I, <laughs> I can't pull up. But I think of like, as but my earlier statement is as your goals change, so does the meaning, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, I would say, uh, I would, I would, I would even say divorce is one of those things for me, you know, like, huh. like probably 25 years ago, I would have been like, no, you just stick it out, you know, that's suck it up, you know? And, Right. And, and you know what? And I, I That's said, true for some people. I would have said the same thing. And it's not true for other people. You know? Well, man, maybe, maybe it's naive to even say a statement like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's true for some people, but not for other people. Yeah. That statement has been true to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've felt, I've been on two sides of that coin. Yeah. At, you know. Yeah. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not clearly. I mean, I, I would have said, and I did say, there's nothing that will break this. Yeah. And I took my vows very seriously and mm-hmm. I never considered breaking those. Yeah. And yet I filed for divorce. Mm-hmm. I did that. How did I come to that? And that's really actually what we were talking about earlier. I was talking about that song tearing down the dam. That's what I was wrestling with. Yeah. How did I, I don't feel like my values changed mm-hmm. yet. Something must have. Mm-hmm. Well, I see. I, th- I think that's that's kind of what I mean. Is like it's 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 not as definitive for me now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you know, and I, divorce isn't exactly. You know, it's like um, uh, I just see, 
I see in many, many places like, oh no, that is the best thing, you know? And in other places I'm like, dude, you just need to suck it up. You know, it's like, that's life. Like life is hard, you know? But I, I, again, you know me, I saw everybody else. I don't know, but like, um, you know, so it's, but again, it's, it's, it's just not a one size fits all, you know? And there's like a, a, a very variation between that, like get out of that thing and suck it up and then yeah. somewhere in between. And then there's also a growth into one side or the other, you know? Right. And suck it up is probably not the right word. I'm kind of overstating that, but. Well, we certainly need to learn to suck it up. Otherwise yeah. mm-hmm. nothing will have any longevity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a valuable skill to have. Yeah. That's delayed gratification. That's discipline. Yeah. But I think I'm struggling with when you say one size fits all. I mean, I said it, uh, one size doesn't fit all. One size, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, is the all in that statement is not people, mm-hmm. or, or is it, or is it situations? What I, is what is the all? Uh, one size doesn't fit all. It would be more of like um, uh, if you were to state on one side or the other, like say, hey, if it doesn't work out, or if, you know, you don't fit. Eh, get a divorce. Like, right. like, I don't think that's, that's a true statement. Like that's, that's not one size fits all, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. because that's just way too loose, you know? Yeah. And then also like, you know, it doesn't well, matter. Stick it out. Whether it, your husband or your wife is beating you, you just stick it out. You know, it's like, that doesn't fit. That doesn't either. fit. Yeah. Cause clearly there are relationships that lead to death mm-hmm. and that, or physical, emotional abuse, thing. or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Right. Because it's like we need we need things that we hold up as um, it's like I want to say unquestionable. Mm-hmm. So, so you you enter into a marriage, oh, and dude, you yeah. and you say I, I will stay with you in sickness and health till death do us part. And we need to somehow hold that up as unquestionable yeah. because we need something to align ourselves to in times of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yet there are times of trouble that do seem to overpower that maybe. I don't know. This, this just got really <laughs> sticky because you, you kind of run again, but I think that's why like we have to be able to learn to live with the paradox, you know, mm. that there are two things can be true at the same time. Right. And I think in this instance, there, there's that too, because, you know, there's something really, Oh dude, this gets, this gets way too complicated real quick. <laughs> well, the reason why I'm thinking of it, why it gets so big and so complicated is like, you know, I've been really, kind of looking at evolution and, and how we kind of got to where we are right now. And something that that's really a distinguishing factor of, uh, the human species is this sort of like development of other, you know, it's like we have this, I mean, you see this in some animals and, but like in our species, like it's, it's, it's so much more pronounced, you know, as far as like something outside of myself, you know, you see this in the religions, you see this, um, even kind of heading towards, uh, monogamy in, in, uh, uh, and, uh, as a species kind of grew and also because our, uh, <laughs> our babies don't, can't take care of themselves. So they're like four or something right. like that too. 
But I, I think there's just a lot of these things that are kind of more biological to us that, that why we needed those more longer term relationships. And it's hard. I, I probably should step off this conversation because I've got too many, too many conflicting thoughts and ideas because, uh, uh, I'm kind of in the middle of that. Well, that's what we're, exactly what we're talking about, right? Like <laughs> conflicting thoughts and ideas uh, and you find yourself yeah. on one or the other side of that paradox somehow mm-hmm. at different times. Totally. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you see, because you know, like, I think it's hard for us right now in this, in this modern era, because we don't realize how much life has changed in the last 60, 70 years, not to mention the last 150 years, you know, and when you start going through all the things that are different, you know, like even, even the poorest of the poor in Austin ate better than Kings. I mean, besides people who are starving, you know, obviously, uh, eat better than Kings did, you know, 150 years ago, like, you know, uh, healthcare, you know, it's like, even though like we, we, we talk about all the, you know, universal healthcare and all, and I don't want to get into that stuff. And, and, but what we have available to us, just Advil to take mm-hmm. care of a headache, mm-hmm. you know, um, like my back hurts, you know, I took an Advil this morning yeah. and it feels better, you know, it's not cured, but it's, it's better. But if I didn't have that, you know, I would have to take morphine back in the day just for a backache. <laughs> I was watching, a, um, um uh, a video and they were, they were showing this like very strange jail design that was installed in some County in like the late 1800s. And the woman was describing it and she was pointing Mm -hmm. out that these cells had toilets in them. Mm -hmm. And she said, you, you might not think about it, but these inmates had plumbing, running water and toilets and almost no one who wasn't like almost no one had that then. Yeah. The inmates had it, but no one else outside of the jail had that. Mm-hmm. And I might kind of blew my mind. You just don't think about that. Like in the late 1800s, people didn't have plumbing or toilets. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's a, like, that's a massive thing that we take for granted, but how difficult would your life be without plumbing? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, to, to your point, things have changed massively and we take it for granted and we don't we don't really have much of a sort of like working scope of that from a day-to-day perspective as we evaluate mm-hmm. these, um, maybe these philosophical or existential issues. Yeah. Well, we do, we do definitely have a, a tendency to look at everything through our lens of, you know, we have so much information available to us at the, you know, in our, in our phones and, and, uh, you know, transportation, uh, food is so readily available, especially to us in the in the West and the United States specifically. Um, I think that's one thing I'm really looking for right now is perspective, more of like a timeline of perspective, of kind of like where we came from and where kind of like how we kind of got mm-hmm. to here. You know, in some of the timelines I've looked at, it's like you know there was a cognitive re- revolution, and you know, in seventy thousand years ago, like you know all of a sudden the homo sapiens started like stuff started changing. And by 30, I think it was 30,000 years ago, homo sapiens was the only, um, Oh, Neanderthal and the other one, they'd all been, you know, went extinct or whatever, you know? Uh, but it was weird because like when you had the agricultural revolution, which was 13,000 years ago or 10,000 or however you want to just say 13,000 years ago, you know, so many things started changing. You had your monotheistic religion start coming in. It's, it's just 
just fascinating to see the different parts of history where more and more things like like there's a um it's, there's a one another stat about how like we really don't know a lot of uh about history prior to 2800 years ago like about 20 800 uh uh bce or bc or however you want to call it um we ha- we have a we have a good amount of information to give us an idea of what life was like back then but mm-hmm. you go further beyond that it's 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 just you have kind of snippets of things and you don't have a good way of putting the picture together but we right. can kind of infer you know backwards but there's just the 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 evidence is just inconclusive as far as as much as we can be more definitive up to about 800 um bce so is that because like i don't know when uh people started like paper was invented and mm-hmm. they started really writing things down yeah. in a permanent way that wasn't like on a wall or yeah. somewhere. I, I think I, I forget. I, I've got that. I've got that on my whiteboard right now, <laughs> but I forgot what it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, language, language came. Oh shoot. No, I, I, I'm not going to be able to pull that one out. Hmm. Um, I mean, he did have some uh, Egyptian stuff, you know, 2000 BCE. Um, but I, I'm not sure if there how much how much we have beyond that. But even then, it's just like little small pieces, you know, snapshots, like snapshots, yeah. yeah, frames. But I mean, you think about, you know, the Roman Empire was. I mean, we have so much from that period, right. uh, uh, and then from then on, you know, oh man, there's so many fascinating things. Uh, uh, Eric Weinstein had a, a podcast with this, uh, uh, um, oh gosh, Jewish rabbi. Uh, it's funny cause Eric's a atheist Jew and the rabbi's a, you know, believing Jew. <laughs> so they're, right. they're really funny talking about it, but like, uh, uh, oh, I was about to take us on a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Are you prepared? No, I'm not prepared. No. Well, it's, it, it's, I think we go off topic on that because, uh, what is the topic? I know exactly. (laughs) Uh, no, so I'm, I'm really interested in time and the development of culture and society and consciousness and, you know, our understanding of the world around us right now. And, and right now I'm kind of more interested in the timeline of that. Yeah. And every time I look at the timeline, the closer I get to present day, it's sort of like, it makes my head spin. Like, because not only how much information we have of, you know, the last 300 years or 400 years, you know, probably further than that, but I'm just thinking of, you know, World War One, World War II, uh, you know, uh, the formation of the United States. I mean, there's all this information available. And so we're kind of able to look at things from multiple perspectives, you know, from the slaves perspective, from mm-hmm. the uh people who wrote the constitution, you know, from the indentured servants, from the, you know, it's like, right. We're getting a perspective. And some of those were back in the Roman times too. There's, but there's like one or two, you know, here and there that you have, but we just have a, a plethora of, of sources that we can look at it from different people's perspectives right. and put a t- picture together. Well, now we're like entering a time where <laughs> no we're capturing every perspective Mm-hmm. With multiple means, yeah, capturing video, audio, mm-hmm. GPS locations, podcast, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. 
I was thinking about, um, I was thinking a lot about that recently about how whatever, you know, of the evolution of our species to where we are, mm. however that progressed in whatever one generation passed to the next mm-hmm. sort of, let's call it, um, the story or story or the moral of our species that was passed down. It wasn't until maybe, you know, I guess maybe when we started documenting things, mm-hmm. there's really been a massive change though. Um, since the nineties in the internet where we have really specific, accurate data on almost everything. Mm-hmm. And before that time we didn't have that. Yeah. So it was like the movement of information through our culture and through our generations happened somehow that wasn't data based. Mm-hmm. It was more based in story and in moral and in ethic. Yeah. And now that seems to be really like that foundation seems to be really shaking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we see it in pop culture. We see it in politics um, in general, the, the ethical moral foundation of our culture seems mm-hmm. to be shifting at least if not cracking somehow. And I wonder if it's in a sense kind of good, like, so, so there's, there's, there's two different ways to look at it. Like, so there's the, there's the positive side and the negative side. So when you have a single singular narrative, it's really helpful in that people unite behind it because it's, it's a singular narrative. However, whenever you have a singular narrative, anything that is disproportionately, um, out of whack about that narrative is that much more like impacting, you know, it's like, I mean, Nazis are always great example of, of that is like, you know, it was a unifying, they came, they were like, they were falling apart. They were like thinking like, Oh, someone to lead us out of all this crap. And so there was a sort of like, you know, positive aspect to it. But then all of a sudden it kind of takes this turn. I mean, not that, uh, into like, you know, these people are bad. This person's bad. You know, it's like, and, and it turns into this whole other thing, but there was a singular narrative that was uniting. You know, it's like, you could even say Churchill did that for the, for the United Kingdom, where it's like, there was a lot of people that were wanting to sort of make peace with Hitler, you know, and, and Churchill was like a, was kind of standing alone in that saying, no, this guy's crazy. Hmm. We need to do something about this because it's not going to stop. Yeah. You know, and so, like he sort of carried that narrative and, uh, and you know, it's like, as we can look back on it was the right thing to do, you know? It's right. like, um, so I just, I think of, but so, so having, having singular narratives are very powerful and good, but then when you have too many narratives, so the good thing about having multiple narratives and looking at it from different perspectives is you get a broader perspective, but at the same time, then, but you also start to get a, com- a competing narrative, start to compete for who has the power to sort of drive that, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the needing to have the ability to sort of question and test for weakness on something mm-hmm. that having a singular narrative can unite people and can be very beneficial and hold a culture together. Yeah. Um, but if you can't openly question it mm-hmm. whether that's through art or discourse yeah. um, then you run the danger of that thing perverting itself into something that is wildly different than what it set out 
mm-hmm. or at least that it seems that it was set up to do. Yeah. So yeah, you need, I, it's, you need the competing narratives. Mm-hmm. You need to be self-aware. You need to be aware of the narrative that you are subscribing to mm-hmm. and the, the ones that are different that you aren't necessarily subscribing to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to agree with the other narratives, you should but be you aware. should be aware. Yeah. And also to be like, uh, you know, as Jordan Peterson says, like, they might know something I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it was you know, he, him he was talking you, about like deplatforming all these guys like mm-hmm. Alex Jones. And he's like, no, that's not what you want to do. Like you, you've got somebody, all these people are listening to him and he's a bit crazy, Yeah. but like you want him out in the open. Yeah. You want to be aware of what's going on there and mm-hmm. you deplatform him. You just send him underground. He's yeah. still saying the same things, still mm-hmm. the same people listening. Now you just don't know what they're up to. Yeah, Exactly. Well, I think again, coming, cause I think that's one thing I'm also looking for is like, what are some like really foundational aspects, you know, to a healthy narrative, you know, you know, uh, maybe I'm kind of a little idealist in this, in this sense, you know, definitely not utopian because I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's a, it's a utopian narrative that I would, I would subscribe to, you know, because I think there's there's got to be tension and there has to be paradox. Like those are two things. Wouldn't subscribe to it because you don't think it's possible. Exactly. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a realistic, um, nothing, nothing in history has shown that a utopian perspective or too idealistic of a perspective is possible. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine people would like it anyway. No. They'd get bored and just like screw stuff up to Mm -hmm. see what happens. That's what we do. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it has to be paradoxical, you know, in a sense, it's like it, it has to, I think there, I believe there's a underlying narrative that encompasses other narratives, you know, I, for example, just in the political realm, freedom of speech, like that is such a, I feel like that's such a foundational aspect to mm-hmm. political, um, uh, and I think that's why, uh, you know, United States specifically with 50 states, you know, what do we have? 3 million people? I know it's, it's, no, it's 300. Seven, 300 million people? Yeah. Uh, 7 billion people worldwide. So that's, <laughs> I was like, well, I forgot what the, it was, billions or millions? Uh, you know, it's like, that's a lot of people to govern under one, you know, federally as well as from state to local. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, I think there's some really, in all of our faults and all of our, you know, uh, uh, um, inadequacies, you know, I do see some really foundational aspects that allow that sort of ebb and flow of good and bad ideas. Yeah. And it's like, you have to allow the good, the ebb and flow of good and bad ideas. Well, it seems to drastic have drastically changed with the advent of, I guess the internet media, the ability to that. It's no longer sort of an ebb and flow. It's like a, hmm. a real time, instantaneous thing where ideas propagate instantly Mm -hmm. and people get behind them with no, they get behind them based upon their initial reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And there's no single, what am I trying to say? No one's policing it, I guess. It's, no yeah. one's policing it. But I think it's just what you were talking about. Like, Not that it needs to be policed. Like that's like, that's, that's yeah, probably the bad word. <laughs> people in different states have different values, mm-hmm. um, different cultures. Mm-hmm. And yet we, fun- we have functioned fairly well mm-hmm. as a country um, up till now. Uh, 
but now the ideas between sort of the different people and different cultures in the in in local communities clash with each other mm -hmm. because of the internet when they couldn't have necessarily clashed before yeah you would have to go there um to a different place to feel different ideas and interact mm -hmm. with them and you would interact with them much differently than you do reading a tweet or a headline and getting outraged yeah yeah i've definitely had that, this conversation with quite a few people as far as like you know, whether you're a liberal or a conservative, it's like, you know, do you have, if you're a conservative, do you have liberal friends? You know, if you're a conservative, do you have, or liberal, or do you have conservative friends? You mm -hmm. know, um, and maybe it's because we live in Austin, but it's like, I don't see that sort of like, like people are getting, you know, I, you know, I heard this during Obama, you know, it's like with my conservative friends, it's sort of like, Obama is the evilest person alive. You know, it's like, and now that Trump's, you know, it's like all my liberal friends are like, you know, you know, Trump's the evilest person alive. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, you don't have to agree with, you know, but to like resort to those like extreme. Yeah. You don't have to agree, but it doesn't have to be that extreme either. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. have, it doesn't mean that your relationship has to end, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, <laughs> Unless someone's really just being abusive in their <laughs> in their discourse, and it's yeah. like, okay, <laughs> this is not fun. Well, Trump's a difficult one. That is a good one. Yeah, it's always um, fun to bring up, though. <laughs> He's entertaining. <laughs> I've I've actually been um, consciously seeking out. I'm scared to go here. Yeah. I've been consciously <laughs> seeking out some more um, pro-Trump points of views because hmm. they're not at least I guess here, or at least what I'm exposed to, I don't hear him much. Yeah. Um, but I've wanted to, I've wanted to hear another side of the coin. So I've been consciously seeking that out. And mm -hmm. um, that's been a healthy thing for me. Well, I think it's also just in the, in the place that we live, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. we definitely hear more of the liberal uh, narrative in Austin, right. you know? Um, so it is healthy to, to seek out more of the conservative, you know, it's like, um, you know, even though, even on conservative sides, there's a lot of different views of Trump, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, but on the liberal side, most of the Trump supporters are painted as one thing, mm -hmm. but when you go to conservatives, you see, it's a lot more diverse or nuanced, their, nuanced exactly yeah. in their perspective of Trump. Um, you know, so, so it's good. It's, it's, I would say the same thing if you live in a more of a conservative city, mm -hmm. you know, it's like where you're hearing mostly conservative views. It's like, it's good to have your liberal out sources, you know, it's like, you know, I think for me, uh, you know, David Pakman is probably my more progressive liberal that I listen to, you know, and he just had, uh, Sam Harris is really good. Mm. Uh, and Sam Harris is also kind of more on the liberal side, um, uh, left leaning. And so it was really, uh, it was a really good conversation, but then on the right side, I listen to, you know, Ben Shapiro, you know, who kind of gives you a little bit more of that dynamic conservative, uh, viewpoint, you know, uh, and then there's just quite a few people that are very much in the center and depending on who you talk to, <laughs> we'll say they're either, you know, <laughs> right leaning or left leaning, but they're fairly, you know, um, uh, nuanced in their, you know, liberal conservative, you know, standings and stuff like that. Well, most people are more yeah, nuanced yeah, exactly, than other exactly. people describe them as being, uh, -huh. That's and true. that's the, I mean, that's one of the difficult things about politics is you hear a lot more about what other people say mm. about politicians than you hear the politicians themselves. Yeah. The market's saturated with opinions. Totally. 
I thought I was listening to, I watched a Ben Crenshaw uh, video a, a couple days ago and I was, I was like, oh, well, that guy's, he's a, he's a really well-spoken, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I was like, you don't have to agree with him, but like really well-spoken and Tulsi Gabbard, you know, listened to her and I was just like, oh man, I really like her. You know, it's like, I don't agree with some of her policies, but like, but it's like, I can tell she's really thinking about it. Andrew. You can Ye- like someone that you disagree <laughs> with their policies. What? It's crazy. <laughs> I didn't know you were well, allowed to do that. Andrew, Andrew Yang's another one, like on the, on the left side, you know, it's like, uh, it's sometimes harder for me to, to really understand some of like the more mainstream politicians, you know, like your, your embedded ones, like, like Trump, I don't really understand. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and your, your Biden's and your, uh, uh, Oh shoot, uh, Sanders and Beto, and it's like it's it's kind of a. I, I, it might be just because the formats they're on, you know. It's like because I've watched you know uh, Yang and Tulsi Gabbard and Crenshaw and some of these guys on Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. where it's like a longer format, you know. So and also Bernie Sanders, his was really interesting. That was the first time I kind of like, oh, you're a real person, hmm. you know. It's like not a TV personality, right? Um, so it, I think that's the part we're missing. We're not seeing people as real people there there a there's a it's a personality thing and a part of that is the problem i think of mainstream media it's like mm-hmm. that's that's it's a character they're selling a character you know and whether they agree with that character or not or have you know that's the the slant but they're they're promoting a character either way you yeah. know whether good or bad so it's it's just really it's, it's hard for me to I, I, that's why i kind of stay off of some of my unless i've heard something that's more long form and more nuanced. I kind of withhold my opinions on things unless I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh yeah. That person's a real person. Okay, cool. I see you. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about Andrew Yang, but I, I listened to a bit of a podcast he was on with, I guess, Dave Rubin. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually, I, I think I only got a few minutes into it and I need to revisit it, but he said, I really appreciate that you came here and there was no like talking points. There was no, you know, stay away from this issue. I want to make sure to get this point across. He was like, you just came and sat down and you're just willing to talk to mm-hmm. me. You have no idea what I'm going to ask you. Yeah. I thought that said a lot that that was really cool. Well, it's also, you see journalists that also have a, um, an agenda. And so, so whether the person sitting across from them, they agree with or don't agree with, they have an agenda to kind of formulate this conversation in a certain direction, you know, it's like, obviously you do have to have some boundaries and some direction, you know, but it's, it's, it just comes across more as you just manipulated that, you know, it's like, there's some like absurd, uh, you know, uh, you know, if anybody wants to watch the Peterson and Kathy Newman, like that is like kind of like the ultimate example of that. But I've seen it in a lot of other, you know, you see it with Fox, you see it with CNN, you see it with, you know, it's like they're crafting it Mm -hmm. rather than allowing that, free flow of ideas and, and nuance and stuff like that. I think it's a really difficult thing to do. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think we we all are sort of crafting something, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or mm-hmm. not, <clears throat> we all have some outcome that we're trying to drive toward True. in our conversations with each other, mm-hmm. um, in a day to day, in day to day situations. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's hard. I mean, you see this, I think that's, I think that's really the difficult thing. Like 
like when I'm not authentic, hmm. it drives me crazy. Like you, you, you feel yourself being inauthentic. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, and again, I feel like, you know, like even right now it's like being able to kind of like, uh, like right now I'm wrestling with the things I usually wrestle with, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, it feels a little more authentic to me. You know, it's like, it's, it's something that is, these are things on my mind and I don't have a, a clear thing about it. You know, it's like, it's, it's something that I want to like work through. And so that feels more authentic to me in this type of dialogue, you know? Um, you know, uh, but like if, if I, if I, whenever I put on a face of some sort, um, that's out of context, like it, 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 it just makes me kind of go, Oh, what, what, what was that? You know? And I, I go back and I'm like, Oh, I really got off the rails here. You know, I, I played the part of Michael Medici, you know, yeah, or, totally. or do you ever find or, yourself like, you think back on, on a, an a, a interaction you had and you think, Oh, I really exaggerated this little thing. Mm-hmm. Why did I do that? Yeah. That totally. wasn't true. It wasn't necessarily false, but it wasn't mm-hmm. true. Why did I, why did I do that? Yeah. I wasn't trying to be inauthentic. I wasn't trying to be misleading. Mm-hmm. I was trying to tell the truth. Yeah. And yet somehow your brain manipulated a little something towards some goal because you think it will be helpful to arrive at some point maybe. Yeah. But it feels awful. Yeah. It feels nasty. <laughs> I still remember that. I think I've, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but Alice and I's first like, f- like fight, which was like her and I have had to learn how to fight because we don't fight. Um, but <laughs> like I was, learn to actually fight? Actually fight. Yeah, yeah like exactly. Like you should fight. Yeah. We, Alice and I were like, we're one of those couples that need to fight. You uh, know, it's like. Uh, What's well, healthy. It is. It really is. And, you know. Uh, you know, or other couples probably learn to not fight so much, you know, yeah. <laughs> or on the other side of that, right. <laughs> uh, where I was like, I was logicking her to death, you know, like mm-hmm. basically I was explaining to her why I was right. I have no idea what the conversation was about, but I just remember in my head going, Michael, you're, you're just logicking her to death. Like you're, you're wanting to win you're just this. Beating her up. Yeah. yeah. You're wanting to win this. And it's like, and you can do the mental gymnastics in order to like, for her to give up. So she's not going to agree she with taps me. Out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She doesn't agree with me, but she won't agree right. with me, but she will give up and you win. Yeah. But you don't. That's the worst feeling. But that was going through my head. I was doing the whole thing. And in my head, like I saw that happening in real time mm-hmm. and I hate that feeling. Like I catch myself a lot better than now, but like whenever that starts to rear its head, I'm just sort of like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> it's a lot easier to do with people you love too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Well, that's why it's so important. So important to have people you love and, and have discourses mm-hmm. with them often because it's like, you can work those things out. Yeah. You have the room to like be one way and they'd be like, Ooh, I didn't like that. I don't want to be that way. Uh-huh. But you're with you, you know, with when it's somebody that you love, they forgive you and mm-hmm. accept you and yeah. are willing to hear you say, you know, I didn't want to be that way. Yeah. I'm sorry that I logged you to death. <laughs> it does, you know, uh, doesn't necessarily damage the relationship. So maybe if I bring up Plato and Aristotle and uh, how that fits into <laughs> Einstein's theory of relativity, <laughs> you'll get tired and I'll win. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll let me choose where to go to dinner. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, shoot. Hmm. Yeah. I think I'm, I, I think I'm really, I'm actually more excited about where I, maybe it's because I 
I'm seeing more people, uh, maybe, uh, how do you say that? Aware of people having those discussions across ideological perspectives, political, um, religious, having those conversations in a really productive and they disagree with each other, but it was a great conversation. Yeah. And that is to me, every time I watch that, it's like, I don't care if I agree or disagree with either one of them, but just seeing that happen, it's just such a great model for, you know, how we should, how we should function, how we should do things, you know? Yeah. I think it's starting to happen more. I mean, really, I think we have podcasts to thank for that because mm-hmm. it does seem to me that that I've never noticed it not being that way in the real world. Mm-hmm. Like it's completely fine to disagree with people yeah. and people are generally completely fine with it yeah. and respectful, mm-hmm. but that's not the way it is on Twitter and it's mm-hmm. not the way it is on Facebook mm-hmm. and that's not the way it is on Instagram or mainstream media either or mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And it's tempting to believe that, because we're exposed to those things constantly all day long, mm-hmm. that that's the way the world is. I don't think that's the way the world no. is. Uh-uh. Like somehow those platforms are really screwing our narrative or mm-hmm. our understanding of what's really at, at work in the world. Yeah. Cause yeah. I see something completely different when I'm at work mm-hmm. interacting with my coworkers. I see something different when I'm out hanging out with friends, people are, willing to express themselves openly, willing to disagree, willing to poke fun at each other mm-hmm. because of their disagreement and willing to attempt to see other sides of things. Yeah. But, and there is an element too, where like you do find like, Oh, okay, this is a little bit, maybe we shouldn't get into this right now. Like, mm-hmm. like a topic, like a person you don't know, like you and I can get into right. almost anything, you know? Yeah. And you know, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of leeway, you yeah. know, but you know, someone you've maybe met for the second or third time or the first time, you kind of approach a topic and everyone's a little bit on edge. Mm-hmm. And so there is a little bit of, I think, social decorum, you know, as far as like, oh, okay, let's just kind of table that topic. Until like an we etiquette. Get, yeah, and, uh, yeah, almost yeah. an etiquette. Like until we kind of formulate a little bit more here, mm-hmm. it's like, let's not judge that just yet, you know? Yeah. And, you know, well, yeah, we need to like fertilize the soil of this relationship enough to where it can support that conversation. Mm-hmm. Whereas you don't do that, or people don't when they're on Twitter. Yeah. They're just like, no, I'm just going to jump straight to condemning you to hell. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think that's, you know, leaders like, I mean, Martin Luther King is is a great, you know, example of that. Like, you know, he just really, you know, put a lot of the differences we have aside and was like more about like what we have in common, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that was... That was a really uniting, you know, but he was also really, he talked out against a lot of the bad things that were going on, you know, but he also was very uniting too. So, uh, you know, I think some people have that awareness of when the timing of things, you know, and how you, um, yeah, it's just right now it's just, there's just so many, like we're so reactionary to things that it's like, oh, let's. Let's leave that alone. It's not important that, you know, <laughs> sorry, Trump's just so easy to talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like where Trump thinks the hurricane's going, it's like, it's not really that important. You know, it's like, I'm like, I'm like, 
I don't know why this is like taking up so much time and space. Like, yeah, I'm totally not interested in this. It's like it's the way he always has been. He's always just dominated the news cycle. <laughs> he really is with with whatever know, happens to be on his mind. And everyone's like, it's his fault. I was like, no, it's your. You can't put it up there. Like, <laughs> like come on, just stop. Like, you know, it's like well, everybody needs to know. It's like I think everybody knows. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, not we're a pretty well aware. Uh, anyways, I don't want to. I don't want to be bashing right now. It's not really the point right um but uh, you know again i think going back to to narrative and um oh shoot that's this this moves us into another place i've been really thinking about like like the story we believe hmm. and like how powerful that is mm-hmm. this is completely incomplete thoughts because this is something i'm really in the middle of and and you know some of it is it's like been thinking about too like what the story my kids believe about themselves and how they are oriented in the world and how that affects them in their relationships with, you know, mom and dad, mm-hmm. you know, Alice and I, um, and really looking at it from more of like the story they believe, you know, because like we all, we all believe in a story. Everybody does, you know, it's like, and you know, your story might involve some science, you know, but really a story is a lot more involved than just facts. You know, it's like, it's interpretation of facts. It's, 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 it's the feeling, it's the emotion, it's the relationships. It's like all these different things. Well, story involves characters, characters yeah. and experiences, mm-hmm. climaxes and, you know, yeah. lows and, uh, other storytelling. <laughs> yeah. The story that we tell ourselves, this narrative, and we mm-hmm. were, I think we were touching on that earlier when we were talking about history, but it, mm-hmm. it, it orients our reality mm-hmm. and, and not just our relationships, but literally the structure of what we experience as reality Yeah, is oriented through story through narrative mm-hmm. in contrast to sort of this big change where we have all this data now this, mm-hmm. these data points don't orient our realities mm-hmm. the story does yeah i mean the data points we can't even figure out how to make the data points tell a story yeah i mean that's like a big problem in tech right now mm-hmm. what do we do with all the data we have we can't make sense of it yeah yeah, and it's and it's incomplete at best as far as like it all it needs interpretation. Like mm-hmm. all data needs interpretation. So data in and itself is useless. Right. <clears throat> and so how we you have inter- to have yeah, it's useless unless you have a person to read it, mm-hmm. and that person is going to read it according to to themselves, mm-hmm. and another person is going to read it slightly different. Yeah. And it's like, what is your narrative? Like, again, it's like you have a personal story and narrative, but you also fit into a greater story, your family, your mm-hmm. friend group, your city, your nation, you know, it's like <clears throat> your, your lineage, you know, it's like, it's like your story is so complex. It's like to define ourselves by an element, you know, of that story is this, you know, it's like, you know, I think that's why it's important to have conversations across religious, you know, it's like, it's like, cause you're not just that hmm. you're also more than that. You're also a parent. Hey, this person's a parent too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Y'all might disagree religiously, but <clears throat> there's something about parents that you share a commonality, you know, it's like, um, and, but again, it's like, but sometimes our stories are so narrow that, uh, Oh, there's two, there's two places to go with that. But like, your, you know, your story is so narrow that it, that it, 
it's like a <laughs> like a short story that <laughs> no, not a short story. That's a bad example. <laughs> Well, it's just so narrow that it's just it's, there's not a lot of depth to it because you're just you're just riding on one mm-hmm. one narrative. I am this. I am Michael, coffee shop Medici guy. It's like well, that's a really shallow narrative. It doesn't really help me understand anything about you. Uh-uh. Well, well, you it helps bit, me. Yeah, ask, helps me understand a couple things. Mm-hmm, totally. But I don't know you Mm-mm. if you tell me that story. No. It's like, oh, also part of his story is he's married, he has five kids, and he's from Amarillo. He, you know, it's like there's this, there's this depth there, and mm-hmm. it's like we're not even talking about, you know, psychologically or spiritually or, you know, philosoph- you know it's like right. philosophically and how each, that person has evolved in their, in their story, too, you know? Right. Well, and that story, really, at whatever, um, whatever level you tell it, in, mm-hmm. in sort of like in whatever amount of detail you choose to tell that story is going to mean something different to each person who hears it based upon which parts of it they can relate to. Mm. So if I'm from Amarillo and you get to that part of the story, yeah. part of my understanding of who you are, what I experience as you mm-hmm. gets supplemented with my own experience mm-hmm. with that one thing. Yeah. It's probably something then we connect on and that, that part of the story kind of blows up a little bit more. And expands mm-hmm. because we're both, you know, and even I think that happens in the contention too. It's sort of like, oh, you think that way, mm-hmm. why? And it's like that part of the story kind of blows up, but it's like it's an aspect, you know. It's like we need we can't treat that as the whole of mm-hmm. of that person, you know. It's like, um, but it's important that we do have those things that we do kind of open up and that kind of blow up a little bit and maybe focus more in on, but uh, we just have to be careful careful to step back <laughs> again, you know? Right. And get a, and, and get a sense for, get a sense for the whole, mm-hmm. or at least is what we understand the whole to be at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and also sober up a little bit from the thing that we blew mm-hmm. out of proportion rightfully and meaningfully, Yeah, but also like step back and be like, okay, Michael's not just a guy from Amarillo. Mm-hmm. He's also Owns a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. I don't relate to that part. I don't own a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So we kind of skipped over it. Yeah. But I don't really like spend coffee. some time there. <laughs> yeah. But I do like coffee. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that having that working relationship with the narrative and being engaging in it and wi- being willing to talk about the different parts and being self aware of that narrative mm-hmm. that, we're, that you're talking about. These, well, we've done a pretty good job of being uh, on point with the themes tonight. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like th- these things are, are coming full circle. Uh-huh. Well, the, the other part of that part too is of, of the story and the narrative is, you know, and that's the part that I'm, I'm most bewildered about is more foundational aspects. Um, what like uh, there's just one guy uh, I listened to, uh, Adam Friended. He's a he's an atheist, and he really he's, he does a really great job. Is like, you know, how do how can we have morals? You know, like the story of morals doesn't fit in an atheist perspective. And he's an atheist, Hmm. you know, it's like other than as a subjective socially constructed, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, and then, so that's kind of where he comes. That's, that's, that'd be his statement. And hopefully I'm not misstating it, but then other people would come in and say, you know, you have, you have the religious side that would say like it's our, our naturalistic side that they're inherent in, you know, our biology or, or something like that. Um, 
you know, or someone who does completely like, you know, morals are completely subjective, you know, we've just agreed on it and that's, it's better for us as a society, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, see, I see some people struggling with those questions in a, in a real, a real way and, and being honest with their short, the shortcomings of that, you know, it's like, like, so I, I so I examine my, my story, you know, and the parts that are incomplete, you know, as far as like, you know, I kind of take for granted a lot of those things. Like I do think there's an underlying, you know, uh, meaning or our, uh, uh, axioms that, that drive us, you know, and that, that have changed over time. But the reasons why they have changed is because more of as of an evolutionary perspective, as far as us coming from infancy as children, as a species into more, maybe adulthood, maybe adolescence, you know, but us being able like, as these things are, um, making themselves apparent to us and then us understanding and struggling with, um, those types of things. I think like the Cain and Abel story is, is a really great example of that sort of, you know, you know, and again, I just think that kind of encompasses this idea of, you know, you know, uh, Cain kills his brother Abel. Uh, but prior to this is like, you know, Cain was really angry and God tells him, you know, you know, Hey, be careful. You know, if you do what is good, you know, you'll, you'll do good, you know? Um, but if you don't, then, you know, sin is crouching at the door, you know, it's like, well, what does that mean? You know? Um, Oh shoot! I just got way off topic. <laughs> I was kind of wondering, just trying to figure out where you're going with this. No, sorry, uh, that, that's all right. I'll, I'll wrap that one up though. Uh, oh shoot! Morals, Cain, Abel, um, story. Oh, uh, oh, dude, I did lose that one. Oh, it, Here, okay. I got something that'll help you. All right, fine. Some fine. some whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's definitely, um, uh, um, Oh, there's just, there's this part of like, when you see yourself do something that's contrary to what you, what you should have done, like, you know, Cain spilled Abel's uh, blood. And when God comes to him, he says, he says, well, who uh, yeah, am I my brother's keeper? You know, it's like, he doesn't deny it, but he doesn't, he doesn't even address the question. You know, it's like he hides himself, you know, and, and then he starts to blame God for it. And then it's at the end of it, it says like, and then he left the presence of God and went on his way, you know? And I, I just, I see there's that part of us as a species too, as, as like, as we're, as we're moving into sort of morality or, or, uh, truths that we're uncomfortable with and that we're kind of encountering in a, not for the first time, but maybe in a more developed way that a lot of things we want to do is we kind of want to hide from that, from those realities, you know, or create a different reality. That's an interesting point. It does seem like, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Is it possible? Is it possible that ideologies can come out of that? Like this, this hiding from something that's emerging yeah. that we don't want to admit exists. Mm-hmm. And so we develop a structure that's sort of airtight against that, mm-hmm. a, a, a structure of thinking, a mode of thinking that you could maybe call an ideology. 
I would think so. And I think, I mean, so again, these are, these are things I'm just kind of like tossing around right now and, and, and pondering is, is I, I have this, I have this feeling or this thought that, you know, you're, you know, like a child or like a teenager, you're walking through life and you're encountering things you've never encountered before, or you've heard your parents tell you about, but you've never experienced. So you don't really understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you encounter it and you have an understanding of it and you may or may not have, you know, it's like you snuck out of the house and you crashed your car, you know? Um, like I snuck out of the house and, and I, I, I ran into a pole. This is a real, this is a real, story. real yeah. life story. And I was, I was, I was, no, I was spending a night at a friend's house and I, I backed into this pole. We were out four wheeling and, uh, I backed into this pole and just <laughs> almost took it out. And I just, and so I called my brother up and I said, Hey, Jonathan, go to church with me in the morning and then I'll come back and he was going to vouch for me that I hit like a pole at church or something like that. Oh man. <laughs> I didn't really go to church, but I was like, I was like, occasionally I'd go with friends or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Maybe it was the friend I was supposedly with goes to church. I don't yeah. know. But <laughs> so like it, it would be better to have crashed the car at church than it would to have crashed it out four wheeling. Yeah. In the middle of the night when uh -huh. I was not supposed to be where I was supposed to be. Cause gotcha. I slept in my car that night. Like I gotcha. wasn't actually at my friend's house, you uh -huh. know? So, but it's like, it was a lie. It was a story I told, yeah. you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, but the thing is, it's like, I know that like, like when that happened, it's like, it's, it's something that etched in my mind of like, I lied to my parents to cover this up because I was somewhere where I was not supposed to be, hmm. you know, you might be able to say, like, well, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like, but even if it doesn't, it, the, the fact of it is more of like, I was telling an untruth, you know, and it wasn't even for a good, like I wasn't protecting anybody. It wasn't like protecting Anne Frank in the, you know, attic. Well, or you're protecting like yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it, I think that's the thing is I've always been somewhat, somehow like deeply offended by this concept that like a, a, of a white lie, mm -hmm. like it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect anybody. It didn't hurt mm -hmm. anybody. Yeah. But when I, I think it matters for the same reason that we were talking about earlier, that narrative, well, the way that I have been thinking about it is that narrative defines the structure of our reality. You said it differently. You said the stories that we tell, what did you say? Define us? Yeah, well, define our reality. Define maybe. our, yeah. yeah. So, I think we're talking about the same thing. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. But if that's true, if our reality, and this is, I mean, that's a big word, mm -hmm. reality. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's. And I think when I use it, I'm, I'm talking about like the structure of what I know to exist and be true. My, everything that comes in through my consciousness, mm -hmm. if that is true. And I think we could talk a lot more about this, about this idea that, 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 that is created through story. Mm -hmm. um, if that is true, then when we lie, white lie or otherwise, mm -hmm. we warp reality into something not comprehensible. Yeah. Something that we can't talk about because it's, you know, if reality is composed of what is true and then we lie and create a new reality, now our reality isn't composed of what is true. And mm -hmm. so it's not a reality at all. And that seems like a really scary place to be in. It's so crazy. Cause like, <clears throat> it's so contextual too, because like, you know, I just brought up the Anne Frank thing, you know, it's like, was it a lie that, 
they were, you know, basically saying there's no one in our attic or whatever, you know? Um, and it's like, but they weren't lying. It was basically like, it's, it's, I had it in my head a second ago. It's not that they were lying. It was like, they were telling a deeper truth in that you want to kill this person and I'm not going to allow that. Right. But if you're telling a lie, that's like me, you know, not telling my parents that where I was and what actually happened, like there, it just didn't seem like there's as much of a, of a higher, there's not a higher story that I'm promoting other than the self-preservation of my, uh, not getting grounded. (laughs) Yeah. I think we could spend a lot of time probably talking about what constitutes a lie because that does seem to like if to say there's no one in the attic. Is, is that, I mean, yes, it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it was the right one to tell. Mm-hmm. I don't see an, an alternative. No. <laughs> but, and then in my head, I just thought, well, what would, what would, have, have, what would Gandalf have said? Because <laughs> I don't think he would have lied. I think he would have found a way to tell the truth. Tell the truth. In a way creatively. that accomplished the same thing. <laughs> totally. Um, that's great. What would Gandalf what do? Would Gandalf do? <laughs> well, but I think about it with my kids a lot, um, uh-huh. especially having gone through divorce um, and a divorce that was pretty nasty in a lot of ways. I mean, there was a, there's a lot of content there, mm-hmm. like a lot of truths there mm-hmm. that I don't want to tell my children. Mm-hmm. Um, Partly because I don't want to tell them mm-hmm. because it's, um, you know, I wasn't always in the right. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things I don't want to admit. Um, but partly because I think that they don't have the ability to receive the information and and sort of putting, you know, there are, there are truths that you can tell someone which telling them is a form of abuse. Oh, true. Okay. That's, that's, that's really, yeah. And so... The, the line of like, okay, well, have I lied to my children? Well, no, I've withheld from them, which is maybe also a form of lying in a, in a different scenario or context. Um, but there's like a real struggle there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's when we're starting. I mean, I think that's when like the word wisdom comes in. Mm. It's like knowing the proper amount. Again, I think that's the part of that authenticity too. It's like, you know, and also when you're, we're struggling through, like, I mean, what you're talking about with, how much to share with about what and when Mm -hmm. it's like, that's a good struggle. You know, it's like, so that, that struggle is good and you're not going to get it right all the time, but you're, you're aware that what is good for the other person and that you also don't necessarily know all that is good for the other person. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, I actually need to be both of those things in your hand at the same time. Exactly. It's like, it's the, it's the paradox. I mean, I think that's why we, you know, I, I was thinking like when you're talking about, reality it's like that's how i view reality is like there's two things existing at the same time it's like i know who i am but at the same time i don't know who i am it's like that those state both of those statements are true at the same time yeah and at different times in my life i focus on one of those aspects more than the other you know sometimes i focus on like what i don't know more than what i focus on what i do know you know And, and it's healthy to i think it's healthy to have both. Yeah. And you see that in, um, the way that we grow as humans. Mm. I mean, archetypally, 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 (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it's like your, your teenage years, you really focus on what you know mm-hmm. to the extent that there's nothing you don't know. Yeah. You know, any, any reflection on what you don't know, it's like, that's gone out the window. Um, and then you get a little bit older and you're like, oh shit, there's things I don't know. And you start to become hungry to know. And then mm-hmm. in your twenties, you regain some self-assurance and you know yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go through these oscillations back and forth yeah. um, as you grow. It seems to be like developmentally, it seems to be an important process. Yeah, it is. It's and again, I think that's what I think about with, with my kids too, is like, is like how much, cause it's good to give your kids a story, you know, a framework yeah. that might be a better way mm-hmm. to, to approach life and reality. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and it needs to be something simple, but also need ha, it needs to leave room for the complexity, you know, and how you do that and at what time. Because I, f- I find that each kid is different too, and and what they're ready for, you know, the sex talk. You know, it's like each kid was ready at different ages, you right. know, um, and I and it's like it would be wrong for me to force that, you know. Maybe I do need to be a little bit more, uh, you know, proactive at some points, you know. Like, no, this is actually really important. Yeah, sometimes yeah. It, it points you have to force things. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes when it can be unhealthy. Like, it's it's it can be wise to wait and not force something. Mm-hmm. But then it can become unhealthy to wait too long. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult to know when you've hit the right point. Yeah. And I think you said this earlier, but it's I think it's super important to be self-aware enough of these things going on to be able to say, you know what? I forced that too soon or I should have said that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do the right thing and I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's the, I mean, that you start uh, to me when, as you're saying that, it's like you start seeing the, you start seeing the poetry of life, mm. you know, in that it is, it's not necessarily black and white. However, there's this, it's almost like underpinning of black and white, but you are not privy to that. It's like you exist in this place that you experience the black and white, but you're, you're always just scratching the surface of mm. like, cause I mean, when I say black and white, it's like, there might be like quite a few ways to have handled this situation, but the, but a, re, a certain result would be, Ooh, I might have to dance around that one. That was, yeah. I, I think I'm, I think I'm being a little bit too definitive in that one. So maybe I was, I was tracking with you mm-hmm. and then I kind of lost it. Yeah. Well, I think the, we're, the, we're gonna, I think you were on something with the poetry or the dance of, of yeah. this. Like it is a, well, I, I think why, why I went with the black and white thing was because like, I, 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 I see a thread that underlines all of this. Mm-hmm but it's not a thread that I know that I can fully grasp. But I think that's a better mm-hmm. way than saying it than mm-hmm. black and white. So it's like, there's a thread that, that is an underpinning to these things. Um, but I, I cannot, I will not, I will not own the thread. <laughs> you know, it's not something that I can ever obtain per se. Right. But the more that I dance with this, the more that, that underpinning becomes well, more of like it becomes more of it starts to shimmer or shine if right. that makes sense. Well, let me try to attack it this way okay. or approach it this way. I think that I'll use this idea of the thread. 
it is something that we know is there. We, and we can find evidence of it being there. Yet we can't ever fully be sure of what it is. Mm -hmm. And at times we think we know what it is. We, we become really sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, I figured it out. This mm -hmm. is what it is. And I, here's how you describe it in definitive. Yeah, totally. But then that becomes dangerous and potentially dogmatic. Well, I think it becomes dangerous in that it, it, it does become a definitive thing because I think it's a healthy thing. But as it becomes definitive, you also then have to kind of let it release it a little bit because mm -hmm. it, it needs to have more room to grow because like your understanding, your definitive understanding at that time in that moment is true, but incomplete, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, um, well, uh, so there's that great, um, debate between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris about what truth is. Oh gosh. Yeah. And I think this might've been my first exposure to this idea, at least stated this way, but I, I really liked the way Peterson said that, you can, you can only find something that is true enough. Mm -hmm. True enough for that moment, true enough in that context. And he uses the example of, uh, you know, a man sitting in a room in his house, he's sitting in the library reading a book, and uh, that man can look around the room, and all evidence suggests that his house is not on fire. Mm -hmm. But his house could be burning down around him, and he wouldn't know. And so that's not a very, like, his truth here, my house is not on fire, based upon what I can see and understand, is not a very helpful truth mm -hmm. um, because he's about to die. Yeah. So, so you have to be careful because truth only exists in context. Mm -hmm. And so your definitive truth at that one moment is within a context and the context most likely will change mm -hmm. as you change. One of the first things you said on this podcast was uh, goals, goals and meanings. Oh yeah, meaning yeah. changes as goals change. Mm -hmm. That's that's a statement about context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, and so that it, it, you could say that the thread changes, or you could say that we change. Mm -hmm. Either way, our understanding of it. Well, I think it's more like we change. I agree. You know, our perspective. Again, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this with like prayer. I think it was like he's like, I don't pray for something it's more of like prayer more change i i am gonna screw this up completely but my takeaway from what i heard i heard someone mention this one time and uh and it basically like prayer changes him you know it's like it like more aligns him with the thread you know if you will you know mm -hmm. um it's like i and i found that statement pretty profound or or uh it made a lot of sense to me because I do find that, you know, even though I don't like, again, I know who I am, but I also don't know who I am. You have the paradox, you know, it's like, and I have to open myself up to what I don't know so that I will change, but I'm to change to what, you know? And, but at the same time, I need to have a framework from which I'm working from. Mm -hmm. And I also have to accept that that framework is incomplete. Well, it seems that framework is made up both of what you know and what you no, mm -hmm. you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the shores of ignorance, baby. Yes. <laughs> Very true. I love it. Someone's, I was telling someone about that. I was just like, 
uh, just like it's it's really crazy too because like uh, like Nietzsche uh, and Peterson, Young, uh, I think even Dawkins brings this up in a way. They all talk about islands and the ocean and shores, and it's all it they're all the same theme, you know, like the sort of like the the idea of an island of knowledge, and you know, like and the shores of they, the shores of ignorance is always kind of left out. They usually it usually goes like more like island and the sea, you know, and sort of the unknown. Yeah, and and I think that's why the shores are so such a beautiful aspect to the island and the sea. Is like that's kind of that in between space. It represents of, the relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly, and the and the 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 grandness of the sea too, because it's like you don't see, you don't. There's no end to it. You walk all the way around your your island, and it's just like this. Well, because you can't ending. know what you don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, okay. So it's seeming to me. Mm-hmm. That these two things, this paradox, these two things that you hold in either hand, that I, I, I know myself and yet I don't know myself, mm-hmm. in order to create an environment that is, um, maybe creates the maximum potential for growth, mm-hmm. you want those two things in conflict. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you want those things hitting up against each other. Mm-hmm. And if you are weighted too much in either one, yeah. that seems like a... I wanted, I wanted to say the word unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Like it seems an unhealthy, seems like an unhealthy place to be, but I think it's more, I, I would rather frame it in terms of like, it's not a, a fertile place for growth. Yeah, You're not going to be moving forward in a way that I think probably you want to. Yeah. I think because, that's a really good way to say it. Yeah. Because that's pretty, I mean, universally, we all want to grow. We mm-hmm. want to become better. Mm-hmm. We want to get better at the things that we're doing. We want to be better at living, at understanding reality, whatever these things are. We want to improve. We want to grow, and and in way, in places that it's it's a reaction to that, mm-hmm. which which you have, I think, more of the horrific aspects of our of our. Um, I keep can't saying species, but like I think there's the reaction to uh, to that tension mm-hmm. is where you do have a lot of the horrific um, things that happen in our in our history. When there's a reaction to that tension, which which seeks to reconcile the tension yeah or to to rid it of the tension Mm -hmm. to master it to domineer that tension yeah you know it's like to frame things in such a way that leaves that tension you know uh to 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 eliminate the tension you know yeah it's historically been impossible Mm -hmm. yeah it's it again i think that's where you see there's always, I think that's one of those things that again is ingrained in reality or in that thread is like, is like there will always be a kickback. Like you cannot, it's, it's something that you cannot, you cannot win. Hmm. Like, uh, you know, the, just the whole idea of like, you know, oh, the prisoner's dilemma thing, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that, that's something I'm really fascinated right now. And the, the Dawkins and, uh, selfish gene does an amazing job. We talked about this a little bit, but just for you guys, it does a really great job of like opening up the prisoner's dilemma. And it's really fascinating. But, um, he, he does that in the book, the selfish gene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just how like, you know, uh, you know, if you think of the, the prisoner's dilemma over iterated times, like not just one time, cause if you're going to do it one time, it's better to defect. 
which is basically you have either you can either cooperate or defect. So you have two prisoners that are uh, yeah. Describe the, the yeah. prisoner's dilemma yeah. problem. If I, if I can do it with with justice, so you guys just have to give me a little bit of leeway here because uh, I'm also this is just something I've kind of picked up and very interested in, but haven't gone all the way with. Um, so basically, the prisoner's dilemma is you have two prisoners that uh, they could. Um, we're just going to put arbitrary numbers on it. Um, if uh, if you defect and turn the other guy hold, in, hold on, oh, go ahead. not not two prisoners necessarily. Yeah. So cops bring in two people mm-hmm. who are suspects oh, to a crime. Good job, thank you. <laughs> and they're both in an interrogation room separately, mm-hmm. and they're being interrogated about yeah. this crime that they are being accused of. Yeah, right. you did a better job of this. Team, I did, you know, I like uh, two days ago I was reading about it in. Oh. Uh, Miguel Chris. Oh, he does book. it too. He talks about it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go back and read that one. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember, uh, yeah. I'll ask you afterwards what, okay. what chapter that's in. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the cops go in there and say, Hey, if you turn your buddy in, you basically get one year prison sentence. Yeah. If you, if you accuse him of having done what mm-hmm. he, we're accusing you, the both of you of, mm-hmm. then he'll get a, a high sentence and yeah. you'll get a low sentence. Yeah. And, you know, but if they both cooperate together, then they both get two years where if, if one defects, you know, the one who defects gets one year and the one who cooperates, um, defects meaning, I know I just, yeah, it's just that we're not doing a great job at this. No, we're not. <clears throat> Maybe we should just leave this one for another podcast. <laughs> Pick it back up on the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah. I okay. think that's, I, that's something I would love to explore, uh, explore more. Yeah. Maybe we should, because I, I, even when I was reading about it in The Master and His Emissary, I, I didn't take a lot away from it. Mm-hmm. And you, it's just really affected you. So I'd really like to, to get into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we can flush that one out. Let's, let's flush that one out. <laughs> yeah. If anyone has any thoughts about that specifically, maybe you can. Yeah, or anything to read on us. it too. So yeah. I know Axelrod did a lot of research on that, which is, that's another, that's why I want to go, I want to go down that road too. So, <laughs> um, well, shoot, man, man, we hit on so many, I think we started scratching the surface of some really mm-hmm. awesome concepts. Yeah. Some concepts that I'm, I think I've really been enjoying thinking about and talking about and, and learning about because they seem to really connect everything. Mm-hmm they seem to sort of touch everything yeah. Um, <clears throat> in a way that seems really meaningful. And I feel like anytime I find something that seems to be meaningful, seems to touch so many things. Uh, well, that seems worth exploring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and, it get, and it also gives me hope too, whenever you think of, you know, I, I come back to one of the themes is like, you know, we talked about freedom of speech, but then also dialogue and, talking with people you disagree with and, and being okay with not agreeing, you know, it's like, and not thinking the worst of somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like withholding, especially in dialogue and conversation, you know, it's like, obviously you need to make, you know, judgments and judgment calls in certain areas. And that's, that's, you're supposed to do that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You can't really move forward in any way unless you Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. But it's just really, I think specifically in dialogue or in, perspectives that you hold, whether religious or political or whatever is like being open to hearing the other side and not kind of withholding judgment and not that, but you can also disagree with it, you know, but judgment about the person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a, I think that was a really, that's something I really, I really like. So I'd like to know more about too. (laughs) I, 
I think we're, we're after it. Yeah. Seeking it. Yeah. And then we'll have Allison on and she'll just rock everybody's world with all of her stuff. <laughs> well, at least she rock to, our world. She I know to, that. She wants to talk about the Enneagram. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a fun topic. <laughs> I guess I, I, I feel like I am always, uh, somewhat left out of that conversation <laughs> because you all know so much about it. Uh, but that'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the Enneagram. She'll jump all over the place. I, I want to talk to her about spirituality too. Oh yeah. Um, cause she said just some really fascinating things to me about spirituality over mm-hmm. the years. I'll have to do some thinking. I dig up some, some, uh, examples of that. Yeah. No, she's really great to talk to in that area. I think she's, uh, like I re- I'm, I'm fairly analytical. And so I think she really helps me kind of, uh, step out of the analytical and kind of view things from more of like a, uh, intuitive space. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's always been really helpful for me, which is so important. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to put a topic on the table that I think we should save. Cause I, I suspect we're probably a good two hours in now. Are we really? Well, I have no idea. Yeah. I'm not looking at the clock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that analytical versus intuitive, I have been thinking a lot lately about um, things, the way that we receive information, the way that we transmit information, mm-hmm. meaningful information. We do it a lot with words. We do it a lot through discourse. We do it a lot through reading. These mm-hmm. sort of like, um, I think the word codified says it. It's like mm-hmm. we have a symbol that represents something. Oh, uh, yeah. And we transmit transmit information that way, uh-huh. but the the mistake that I think that is easy to make is that that symbol holds all the information, mm-hmm. because there's also information we get that has nothing to do with language or any sort of codified symbol or sound. Yeah. Um, for instance, music or art, yeah. we visual paintings. We receive information from that. Information is transmitted to us that we can't put words to. Mm-hmm. Or the words become secondary or third or whatever, mm-hmm. tertiary to yeah. Yeah, our experience of that. Yeah. And, and, and like I said earlier uh, tonight, sometimes those words actually seem insulting to the thing that it is because mm. it seems to diminish it or, or try to reduce it so much. Yeah. Um, but we need both of these things. Yeah. Like we need to be able to talk about things. Mm-hmm. And we discover something that I think that it actually, um, like it's... Without that, we'd be missing something. We need that. Yeah. But we also need to remember that there is information that transmits a different way. Mm-hmm. So you can talk about it as analytical versus intuitive. You can talk about it as logical versus uh, spiritual, mm-hmm. maybe. There's a lot of different ways you can talk about it. Yeah. But we really need both of them. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to talk more about that. Yeah, it's like you can't just open up a can of worms. Like I'm like biting at the bit, like <laughs> want to jump into that. So. <laughs> I, I can. No, we'll probably, we probably should like say that for another time. I think we should. I yeah. mean, there's a whole discussion around yeah, that. Totally. And, and we're probably at a point right now where we won't do that topic much justice. Yeah. Um, cause we need, I think we need a, an hour at mm-hmm. least. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Well, thank you guys for, uh, listening in and our first, uh, season two episode one. Yeah. Shores of ignorance, uh, with, uh, Michael Vaclov and Matt McCloskey. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thank you, guys. Love you all. Love you all. Bye. Bye.